Welcome to Church 213. We pray that the message today is a clear picture of who Christ wants to be in your life. We trust God for a miracle in the next few minutes. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm excited. We're, we're wrapping up our series this morning, I Spy with My Little Eye. If you have uh, a sermon guide, say I do. Oh, I encourage you guys to pick one of those up each week. To God be the glory. Amen? To God be the glory. He is working in this place. I don't know if you've realized it. God is on the move around here. I mean, just, just this, far, this, this year alone, God's moved in the lives of Tymoon and Joshua Jones, Dee Stafford, Garrick Knapp, Abby Robertson, Courtney Wyman, Madison Swan, Chuck East, Sarah Bacon, Sky Vaith, Shanna Casey, Jason Andrade, Cynthia Bell. Where's Cynthia at? She was about, there she is. Baptized last week. God is moving in this place. To God be the glory. Amen. To God be the glory. Amen. This is not a memorial service. This is a celebration service this morning. The words of the hymn says this. Great things he has taught us. Great things he has done. Great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our worship. When Jesus we see. And I'm longing for home. But I'm not home yet. So I'm going to seek the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength right here while I've got the chance. But those lyrics right there, uh, they kind of sum up our series. They kind of sum up where we've, where we've been, what we've experienced the last eight weeks as we've worked through. I spy with what? My little eye. Yeah, we really do. We have a small eye when you think about it, when you think about the grandeur of God. As Parker said, and the praise team has kind of outlined for us this morning, we're talking about God's presence. And God's presence, as I just went through that list of names, God's presence has been moving around us. Feels good, doesn't it? See God really show up and do something. Where the presence of the Lord is, there's life. Hallelujah. Where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, uh, and so the presence... The presence of God this morning is what we're going to end our series with on the nature of God. I spy with my little eye. And it's perfect. I think it's a perfect way to kind of wrap up the series because without, <clears throat> without the presence of God, we can't really experience the other attributes of God. Good to the last drop. The know-it-all. All that in a bag of chips. Gotta love it. It just goes on and on and on. So those things are unrecognizable is what I'm saying. Without God's presence, all that other stuff, you're just not going to be able to see it. This is on your notes. The best prediction of a person's future is what their heart conceives God to be like. I've said that eight times. Because I've started with it every, every message. The best prediction of a person's future and we all have a future. So graduates, high school and college graduates, the best prediction of your future is what your heart conceives God to be like. That's where it's rooted. And the beautiful thing, hopefully, that we've kind of unpacked is God has made himself known to us. That is unbelievable. You know, he is knowable. And he's given us his word. His, his, this is the written records, what we talked about last week. And when we get it, it, it kind of 
makes a difference. When we get it. When you understand that God has made himself known to us and you get that, it changes your life. Because you don't have to guess. Oh man, you don't, you don't have to hope. You don't have to assume. You don't have to wander around searching and being confused about God because His presence can become a reality. And so when we're talking about the presence of God, what we're talking about, it's not, remember, these attributes, they aren't a piece of God. They're inherent of who He is completely. All, like the other I spies. They're all of what He is. And so when we're talking about God is is present the way that the Bible describes that for us is that God is omnipresent. Nod your head if you've kind of heard that. God is omnipresent. We know what the word present comes from. We know what the word present you know, means. It kind of means close to. It means um, next to. It's what's meant when the teacher calls roll and we say present. So you're in her presence. So she can see you. It's, 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 it's a word of proximity. But the Bible declares that God is omnipresent. Some of you guys um, have been to the omni. You kind of show in your age a little bit if you've been to the omni. It's before the dome. It's before the bends. It was the omni. Um, I actually went to a concert there years ago with my parents. But there's a reason they named it Omni, you know, because it, it encompasses all. It's universal. It's to, it's to be used for all things. And so when God declares himself as omnipresent, we know what present is. And so Omni means universal. It means that God is everywhere here and close to everything and next to everyone. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. And the fact that the Bible claims that is just as about as clear as anything else that God's Word declares. It's, it's all throughout the pages. Throughout the Psalms, you read that there is nowhere that God is not present. He's present on earth. He's present in heaven. He's, he's present even in death. There is no place we can go um, to avoid His presence. Which could be really good news if you enjoy his presence. But if you're in rebellion against God, that'll scare you. Because you can't hide, right? You can run, right? But you, but you can't hide. God knows no limits. And so as I was thinking about this, there can be no limit to his presence because there's no place beyond him for anything to be. So he's not limited in any way. This is on your notes. It, it kind of makes this point. God can't be all the things unless he's in all the places all the time. Just kind of the big idea there. Remember, if you're a believer, that's, that, that brings you a lot of comfort. But if you're in rebellion, living outside of God's will, that should lead you to a place of kind of uh, adjustment. He can't be all the things unless he's in all the places all the time. Um, there was this friendly frog. He swim along in the pond and, and, he, and he saw a fish and he just said, Hey, Mr. Fish, man, the water sure is good today, isn't it? And the fish is like, what is water? So think about the presence of God like that. The presence of God, it's, it's our environment. 
It's, it's everything that we are. It's our environment as water is to fish, so we know no other reality. That God's presence is all around us. It's been quoted that, um, that God is over all things, He's under all things, outside of all, within but not enclosed. It's kind of interesting to think about. Above but not raised up. All above and all beneath. So God is everywhere. Universally. But if you are like me, there are times where you feel like God's not around. Right? I've been there. Have you been there? You just feel like, Lord, where are you? God, where are you in this moment? Man, the night is dark. The days are uncertain. I... I know, that, I know that your word says you are here, you're everywhere. You have to be because you aren't limited by anything. And you can't be all the things unless you're in all the places all the time. But Lord, I just don't feel you. The important thing to keep in mind for us is there is a difference between um, knowing God is everywhere and realizing that he is near to you. It's, it's an idea of proximity. Psalm 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. So, He is everywhere in His essence, but only in creation, He places Himself relationally. In only certain places relationally. That's on your notes too. So that's the point that Psalms is trying to, Psalm is trying to tell us. That there is a difference between knowing God is everywhere and feeling Him close to you. And so the question for us this morning is how do we put those two together? How do we reconcile the truth that we know God is everywhere? He has to be or everything would just cease to exist because He sustains it. But how do we take that knowledge and how do we use it to draw Him close to us? He is everywhere in His essence. Because he's omnipresent. But only in certain places relationally. And man, that's where, that's where the rubber meets the road for us. If, you're, if you have claimed the blood of Jesus on your life and you have decided to be a Jesus follower, it's that relationship that we're after. Think about, has, has there been a moment that you've needed God to be real to you. You may be in that moment right now. Lord, I need you to be real to me. Desperate for God's presence. For somebody that can give you hope. And if you haven't experienced that. You're living on earth. Hold on because that moment's coming in your life. Amen. Where you just get that call. You get that email. You get that knock on the door. You just are desperate to know that there's somebody present that can give you hope. Um, a number of years ago, it was an S-4 submarine that was hit by another ship off the coast of Massachusetts and it sank. Uh, the entire crew went down in that, in that submarine. It was like a prison of death. And every effort was made to rescue and so as the divers went down and they were kind of swimming around the hole of that submarine, they heard banging coming from the inside. And one of the rescue divers recognized the sound coming from the inside. And it was a sailor trapped and he was using Morse code. 
And so the rescue diver also knew Morse code, and he instantly recognized the question that was being asked. And the question was this, is there any hope? What he was really asking the rescuer was, is there anybody that's in the presence now that can help? That's, that's what he wanted to know. The question that was coming from inside the submarine was, is there any hope? And so as we wrap up our series, <clears throat> talking about the presence of God, I want to unpack um, a scripture in Luke 24 that answers that question for us. If you're right there this morning, is there any hope? If you're, you know, if you're knocking on the shell of life, like what, what do I do? God, are you there? I know in essence you exist because you have to be everywhere, but I'm just not feeling you right now. How do we connect with the presence of God? Because without God's presence, and we are just hopelessly lost. Amen. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, let's, let's turn together to Luke chapter 24. This is a popular text. Um, it's been preached a lot, but there's so much meat right here that there's just application that comes to life for us. And I thought it was very appropriate to unpack it again as we wrap up this series. So if you have your copy of God's Word in honor of it, there's power in His name, amen. Let's stand together as we read Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. Luke 24, so this is at the very end of Luke's gospel, which means um, the flow of the gospel would put this very close and in, in, in indeed after the resurrection. So Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, says this. Now that same day. So what day? The same day. So if you see stuff like that, you need to kind of go above and say, okay, what's the context here? So let's move up to verse 11. But these words seem like nonsense to them. And they did not believe the woman. What words? Well, let's go on up. Look at verse 9. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven. All of what things? Hey, guess what we're going to do? We're going to take a step up. Verse 6, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. All right, so let's go back to verse 13. Now that same day, what same day? The same day that they heard that Jesus was alive. Okay, y'all with me? Now that same day, two of them were on their way to the village called Emmaus which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. It's, uh, it's actually through the valley on the west. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. And we're going to pause there just for a moment. You guys can be seated. God, we ask you to bless this word, unpack it for us this morning. So, we find two people right here. We find two people who are on their way back, likely um, Cleopas and his wife. The text says they were arguing. 
That was a joke. Likely Cleopas and his wife. <laughs> they're walking, and they're, that's just what I didn't say they were. I'm just saying that's kind of what the text says they were doing. So what I want to do is uh, and kind of look at this husband and wife. Look at this same day they were traveling back and unpack it to show us how can we experience. We know that God's presence is everywhere, but how can we experience it? How can we know every day man, that God's presence is right by our side? So as we see the followers of Jesus, they were going back. They, they were traveling away from Jerusalem. They were discouraged. They had just had their hopes crushed right before their eyes. You ever had your cr- hopes just crushed right before your eyes? I like the first time I was in line at Chick-fil-A and I ordered slaw and they said, we no longer have slaw. We discontinued it for kale salad. <laughs> Look, if this wasn't a Christian-based company, I'd throw a, I'd throw a fit right now. But I had my born, no, before the born squared shirts came out. You ever had your hopes just crushed? Like, I cannot believe this is going on. They're traveling back. This is a great account of the omnipresence because of the context, but also what, what it means to me and you relationally. So the first thing that I want to point out to you, it's on your notes, is this. That feeling alone is an active voice of distraction. And this is big. Feeling alone is an active voice of distraction. They had just been a part of a terrible last few days, hadn't they? Because we just kind of backed up to verse 9. We know what was going on. Put yourself in their shoes. A great way to kind of allow the, uh, the gospel to come to life is to download the Chosen app and watch the first two seasons. Okay? Thank you. If you're not into the Chosen, you need to come to the altar this morning where I can lay hands on you. Okay, download it. It's, it's, it's an incredible, God is using this to sweep the world for the gospel. They had just been a part of these, these last terrible few days, and they're arguing, they're discussing, they're trying to make sense of it all. You ever just, you know, husband and wife, you ever left an environment on the way home, and you're just talking about everything? Can you believe what she said? Can you believe what they did? Can, I cannot believe that. You shouldn't say that. Oh, I, I can, you know. Hashtag no filter. They're arguing, they're talking, they're trying to flush all this stuff out in their life. So what are they talking about? Look at verse 14. It says, together they were discussing everything that had taken place. What had taken place? It's what we know as Easter. Everything that had taken place. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And then it says in verse 17, you guys look at verse 17. We're going to be all in this text this morning, so... Kind of be ready to look up and down. Verse 16 says, But they were prevented from recognizing him who Jesus, because Jesus himself had come near. In verse 17, Then he asked them, What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you were walking? And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. Maybe your translation says they look sad. Something that they were discussing had changed their countenance. You could, you could just tell it on their face something was going on. You know, if you know somebody well, you can look at them, and they might be trying to put on a fake smile, but you know something's up, don't you? Guys, you, you better know this about your wife well. You know, how was your day? Oh, it was great. No, no, okay. Let's not play a game. What, what's going on? 
You know, how, you know you, maybe you walk in on Sunday mornings. Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm great. You know, if we know each other, and I think we really should as a church family, we should know each other to a point where you're like, you know what? Mm-mm. What's going on? Let's, let's be honest. You know, you have to be intentional and know someone well to be able to recognize discouragement when they're trying to fake it. Amen? And so Jesus has pulled up side of them, and, and he's asking them questions, and they stopped, and they were looking sad. They were walking home filled with discouragement, which means there was a lack of God's presence in their lives, and the result was this feeling of hopelessness and confusion. Look at verse 21. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. So what it says was, we were hoping... They were down. They were discouraged. And for us, when we find ourselves in place of discouragement, I want you to know, guard your heart in those moments. Because they become, our hearts become vulnerable to confusion. And the danger there is if we're not careful, the presence of God will seem very distant because we're more focused on being discouraged than what is actually true. So in those times of discouragement, hold tight to your heart because the enemy would love nothing more than to get in there and mess it up and start feeling, filling your, your, your mind with lies that are contrary to his truth. This is kind of uh, uh, flushed out. It's, it's reinforced in Hebrews chapter 13. It says this, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Keep your life free, available, vulnerable from the love of money. The love of money isn't the issue. It's the fact that it's, your, your life is not free from distractions. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. This is talking about his presence. So that's the connection. If you want to sense the God's if you want to sense God's presence constantly, you have to free yourself from what's distracting you. Therefore, if we know that God has not abandoned us, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? But it's tough for us to say that if we're distracted and discouraged because we become vulnerable. Y'all understand where we're going? How this is, how this is working? And that's where they were. See, we have to remember, they were on their way back home from, from following Jesus in Jerusalem, which meant the last three years of following Jesus, they were waiting for him to be king, to, to reestablish his earthly throne. This is all flushed out in The Chosen. So you can download The Chosen app, watch the first two seasons. It's all there, right there. And so while they were waiting on Jesus to establish this military force that would help them overthrow the Romans, he was supposed to deliver Israel from Roman oppression. He was the Messiah. That's what they thought. That's what they thought the Old Testament prophets were prophesying. They said, we, we trusted him. They were talking. They were discussing things. They're like, we trusted. We put all our hope and trust in this Jesus 
but now we're on the way home. He told us he was the answer. He told us he was it, the Messiah. And we bought into it, hook, line, and what? Sinker. I had to explain what that meant to my girls last time we were fishing. That means it is, it's all in, right? And see, they're saying, here we are now. We're, we're looking around. We don't see anything changing. He's been killed. It's been three days. We can't find him. So we're going back home. Forget it. And we're going back home to Emmaus. That's what's going on right here. My question to you is, is there anybody this morning that's going back home? Is there anybody that's just, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't sense God's presence in this area. I know that he's everywhere, but I need him right here. And I don't see him showing up. I don't see him being, being uh, accessible to me. And so I'm going back home because I don't sense his presence. There may be some in here like that. I've been there. You may be there right now. It's not a coincidence that God has this word for you this morning. The interesting thing is this is a relapse for hope. Because at one point they said we were hoping. So they had hope at some point, right? And now they said we, we don't have hope anymore. Because we're going home. They, they had given up. But in verse 16, in verse 15, it said, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. They're on the way back home. They're discouraged. But Jesus is right there in front of their face, and they don't even recognize it. They didn't even know he was there. So when I saw that, I'm like, why? You know, dig this out. Why did they not sense God's presence? It's because the distraction of discouragement was now under the control of their hearts instead of what was actually true. And that stopped their eyes from seeing and sensing God's presence. If you're with me, say I am. That, that's where they were. They had allowed the lie of discouragement to override what was true. And they couldn't sense Jesus that was right there. They missed all that God was doing because they were discouraged. Um, we had a chance to catch, catch a Braves game last week. Uh, and it was, it was the first time that my girls um, had ever been to a major league game. Or Sadie. It was the first time Sadie had ever been. Uh, Emma hadn't gone in a long time. It was the first time we had been to the new park. It was a wonderful experience. Um, God did so many neat things. We found good parking. That's a win, right? Um, we... Um, we had a chance to spend some time what they call the sandlot, which is the kids' zone. And so we got some tokens, uh, and, um, and the, the girls uh, had a chance to ride a, a really fun zip line. We had a chance to, to meet some people from, um, from Calhoun. We talked to them for a while. Um, you know, then we, we went to our seats, and it was, uh, you know, in 30 minutes it was in the shade. Uh, and then we realized that um, they, were, they had access to some free ice cream and popcorn. And so the girls, you know, they, they, they stuffed themselves with, with soft serve ice cream. We're in the shade. The game was great. We had a great experience. The Braves won. Nobody got hit in the hell with a foul ball. So as we were leaving, after the fantastic time that Sadie had, she even got a, a ballpark hot dog with extra ketchup. It was a good day. She didn't get sunburned. It was a good day. 
But as we were walking out of the stadium, I looked at her and she looked sad. She looked discouraged. She just didn't have that joy of the ball game. I'm like, what's going on? And she said, I didn't get a ball. And so I was trying really hard not to go in preacher mode. And so, but I also needed to address the situation. See, what, what, where our seats were, it was behind the net because the new stadium has a net to protect people from, from flying objects from the field. But right on the other side down from where we were, the, the net had a break in it. And it was right in front of the dugout. And as the players would come off the field, there was a little gap. And they would throw a ball off the field to the kids that were sitting. And it was way on down to where we were. And so each half inning, the kids would run down and they would get a ball. And I would look at Sadie, who was looking at those kids' excitement getting the ball. And that's why she was discouraged. So on the way out, she was so distracted about being discouraged for not getting a baseball, that other, she couldn't be happy for them that it robbed her of all that God was doing in her presence. And so I had to explain that to her as gently as I could to be thankful for all that God has done, not just for what you receive, but be thankful for what God is doing in somebody else's life. Amen? Because if you're ground, if you're ground up by discouragement, your heart becomes vulnerable and you'll just miss what God's trying to do right in the middle of it. Found good parking places. She even found her sunglasses that we thought were lost right before we got out of the car. So she had her shades on. Everything had lined up for her to have a fantastic experience. But she had missed it. As a child, it happens. You know what? As adults, we do the same thing in our own life. And God the Father is looking at us and going, What in the world are you doing? Don't be discouraged. Hold tight. Help is on the way. My presence is not just everywhere, but it's right here with you. God is Faithful. That's what distraction and distance from godliness does. It opens the door for doubt and discouragement. I'll say it again for the people in the back. That's what distraction and distance from godliness does. It opens the door for for doubt and discouragement. And so for us this morning, a tough question that we have to ask ourselves is, if there's an area of your life that's causing confusion and discouragement, there is likely distance from God in that area. Because when you're distant from God, you can interject discouragement and confusion. So that's a gut check. Where is there confusion in your life? And if there's confusion, it's very likely there's distance between the Lord in that area. Amen? Number two is this. So we know that feeling alone is an active voice of discouragement. But feeling alone is not an active voice. I'm sorry, feeling alone is an active voice of distraction. But feeling alone is not an active voice of the Savior. To God be the glory. Feeling alone is not an active voice of the Savior. Let's look at verse 18. Verse 18 said, the one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that happen there these days? Like where, who are you and where in the world have you been? He was talking to Jesus. Jesus knew where he'd been. He didn't realize it was him. 
Verse 19, Jesus said, what things? Oh, man, I love it. It's just coming to life. It's like, what things are you talking about? Tell me more, you know. The Lord leans in to his children. So he said, what things, he asked them. And so they said to him, the thing concerning Jesus of Nazareth, duh, who was the prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. It says our, there's ownership, they were Jewish. And they crucified him. But we were hoping, you'll see it, verse 21, but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early in the morning. You see the proxy? They were there. These, this, this couple was there in the midst of all of this stuff. They arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said, but they did not see him. They're telling Jesus all of what's going on. And Jesus is like, really? You don't say? Man, I wish I could have seen it myself. You see, this is just amazing. He's just right there. He's just making himself available to the situation. See, they had followed him for some part of three years while I was on earth. So why couldn't they recognize him? Now, I thought through that. Was, his, was it dusty on the road? You know, was there a dust cloud? Was, his, was, was he in disguise? Was his face covered? But then 20, verse 25 tells us why. Feeling alone is not an active voice of the Savior. And verse 25 said, he said to them. So he's listening. They're trying to convince him of, to, to catch him up to speed of everything that was going on. And verse 25 says, He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? So the reason is this. They had lost faith in the knowledge of God. So this series, I Spy With My Little Eye, is looking at the natural, inherent attributes of the nature of God. How do we know God? Through His Word, through His nature. Basically, what had happened with them is they stopped spying with their little eye. They were discouraged. They're on the way back home. But He was still in perfect attendance. So that's the title of the message. You know, Perfect attendance. He is always in perfect attendance. Attendance. So I want you to know, and hopefully you can testify, aren't you thankful that God is always in perfect attendance? There's never a place that you are outside of his presence. So the question on the floor today is how do we know God is there? And I've asked myself that question. God, how do I know that, that how do I know that you were there? Well, the, the text tells us exactly why. This is the A on your notes. God's presence is found in faith. God's presence is found in faith. That's what Jesus is telling them in verse 22 and through 24. He's like, because you've stopped believing, you've stopped seeing. There are people that say, I'll believe it if I can see it. But that's not what the Word says. The Word says, if you believe it, then you'll begin to see it. Romans 1.17 says, the righteous shall live by faith alone. 
And I want you to know as a church family, faith is not the same as feeling it because there are times where you just ain't feeling it. You know what I'm saying? I just don't feel. But you get that a lot. I just feel like, especially teachers, you know, you ask them a question in class. Well, I feel like it's not about what you feel. It's about what you know. It's about that truth. Because to allow your feelings to guide your faith is like a truck driver that's being controlled by the cargo of his truck rather than by the wheel. Which is reversed the way it should be. The wheel controls the cargo. The cargo does not control the wheel, right? And so if you let your feelings control the wheel, then your faith will be diminished and you won't be able to sense God's presence. And so in other words, when you feel unnoticed and all you feel like doing is just going back home, that's when we need to draw close to God and His people more than ever. Amen, church? Come on, somebody. That's when we need to lean in. Because he could be right beside you and you can't see him because you've disconnected yourself from the hub of where he's working. I don't want you to miss that. Where were these people going to? Home, right? Where were they coming from? Jerusalem. Where had Jesus just shown up and shown out? Where was God's presence being manifest? Where were miracles happening? It was in Jerusalem, right? And so the text says... He's standing right there. But their, but their feelings overrode their faith in what they were discussing. And their eyes were blind to what's going on. And so they told him all about what they'd been doing in the city. But they didn't stay long enough to experience it themselves. That's the key. That's the, that's the meat of the verse right there. They had abandoned. They had walked away. From the location where God's presence was moving. They'd walked away from it. Look at verse 22. This is right there. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They were there. They were amazed. They arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that we had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But they didn't see him. They were there. They're testifying. And I really believe had they stayed in Jerusalem a little longer, where they had witnessed the power of God, they wouldn't have been standing there in that moment looking sad because they would have stayed in the action. Did you get it? They would have stayed in the action. So I want to tell you this morning, church, stay in the action. Stay in the fight. This is a place of action right here. God is moving in the life of our people around us. Stay in the action. Keep your hand to the plow. Find where God is moving and join Him. Amen? God is moving. Look at our happenings. Look on our Facebook. You get the constant contact emails each week. The prayer tent ministry is expanding. Souls are being saved. People are praying. I mean, miraculous things are going on right around us if we would just be intentional to see it and join in. Henry Blackaby is famous for saying, find out where God's moving and join there. Where's the wind of God moving? And join there. Stay in the action. Stay in the fight. You've probably heard people say this. You know, I don't have to come to church every week. I don't have to study my Bible every day. I don't have to serve, sing, give, pray with other people to know God. 
That's true. You don't have to go home to be merry, but it certainly helps. You know, all that stuff is true. But I'm telling you, if you remove yourself from where you're witnessing God moving, don't be surprised if you find yourself walking around being discouraged because you're disconnected from the action. Get in the action. This is on your notes. Some of your greatest answers to your greatest problems are found in faithful consistency. One of the greatest reasons to stay married is because one day I'm going to look back and I'm going to be glad I did. Faithful consistency. Stay in the action. And it's one thing to hear about God and, and to hear about what He's doing. It is a completely different thing to see it for yourself, isn't it? Sherry was testifying this week. When you see God working yourself, it changes things. And the, and the sad reality is, American Christianity right now, most people just don't crave Christ enough to stay put. God's just like, choose me. Love me. Why won't you love me? Statistically, it shows that 32% of church members are not, um, 32% of church members are actively growing in their walk with Christ. 32% are actively growing. They're in the fight. They're seeing God show up and show out, which means the other 68% are okay with walking away from time to time from the action, leaving Jerusalem, walking back home. The front lines will always fan the flames of your faith. The front lines will fan the flame of your faith. There's something else, though. So, yeah, God's presence is found in faith, but God's presence is found in the Word. Look at verse 25. God's presence is found in the Word. And He said to them, Jesus is speaking, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into His glory? Wasn't it necessary? Didn't the prophets tell you? Didn't the word explain this to you? Jesus is explaining to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now you may be thinking, all? I mean, it's just seven miles. How can he explain to them all the scriptures? The New Testament hadn't been penned yet. So this would be, this would be the complete New Testament. Everything he's explaining to them. How can you explain 39 books from Genesis to Malachi in seven miles? Well, here's the key. Just look for Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Have I not shown you everything that was written in the scriptures concerning who? Me. He was pointing them back to himself. He told them of himself. And here's the beauty. And it's found, it's found in verse 32. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scripture to us? They were under conviction. You know, you ever, you ever just get, you know, you, you feel the spirit inside, you know, you, you're, you're holding on, you just sense his presence right there. Like you're alive, you're burning, the spirit's moving. That's what they were experiencing. They had no choice but to respond. You know, no doubt the Spirit of God was burning inside of Cynthia Bell last week when she stepped out. She could see it. It was inside of there because she was exposed to the Word. 
That's what they were, they, oh yeah. They were recalling the situation on the road. Man, when he was talking to us, do you remember that feeling we had? They were trying to, to, you know, to reconcile it all. The gospel changes things. It makes darkness flee and it sets the captive free. Amen? Write this down. If you would, it's on your notes. During times of hopelessness, the Bible is indispensable in giving you back your hope. This is the grounding rod. This is his words to a, to a captive heart and a discouraged mind. But maybe you, maybe you say this, Pastor, I don't know where to turn. Turn anywhere. Turn anywhere and then study the context and memorize some scripture and watch the Spirit flow over you and out of your life because that's why we were created. Don't just cherry pick a verse. I'm saying turn anywhere and study it. Where was it written? Who is it written to? What's the context? Get your study Bible. Look at those little notes. Make some notes. Think about it. Ponder it. Meditate on it. And let the Spirit of God begin to work and massage that truth. Because God's presence will wash over you with streams of living water. It comes out of His Word. That's what the Apostle Paul was telling Timothy. There's a couple of scriptures that I want to uh, kind of point out this fact with. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this. All scripture is inspired by God. It was, it was his work through his people. And it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. It's going to be uncomfortable. All scripture is given by God to make us uncomfortable so that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You have to let the light of God's word shine in those dark places on your life if you want to sense his presence. But it goes on. 1 Timothy chapter 3 says this. And most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. And all God's people said, Amen. He was manifest in the flesh Vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Woo! That's the gospel right there. That's what the word of God will do in your life. So searching and memorizing and studying the words of Jesus is a grounding rod to hold you steady in your life. But it goes a step further. Because when you're discouraged, you want to see God, don't you? You want to see him in, in such a real way. You want to know that he's there. You need sight. You want to see something. You just don't want to hear about Jesus. You want to see God working. And I get that. Which is why the text kind of continues to unpack itself. And the couple was the same way. They had been on a seven mile Bible study. But they couldn't see him. From Jerusalem to Emmaus. They needed more. And that's the other piece that we have this morning. It's see God's presence is found in fellowship. It's found in the fellowship. Look at verse 28. Kind of wrapping up. They came near to the village where they were going, and he gave them the impression that he was going further. He threw them a curveball. God is good at throwing us curveballs, isn't he? 
But they urged him. Maybe your translation says begged him. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening. And now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took bread. He is chilling. He is kicking back, spending some time with this couple. He took the bread. He blessed it. And he broke it. And he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from his sight. Whoa. That's pretty incredible to think about right there. They begged him. They begged him to stay with them. And to beg means, means to be desperate for. Those kids on that ball game, they were begging for a ball. They were desperate like their life depended on it. Some of them actually bought into it, like Sadie. But we as adults, even we do that. We, we're, we, we're desperate for things that really don't have any substance. But for these people, this couple, here's the, here's the key for us, church. They went all in. They were so hungry for it. They went all in. They wanted more. He's like, they like, hey, we want more than your teaching. We want more than the information. We want you. That's what God wants in our lives. He wants us to, to desire him enough to, to, to want him at the, at the table. Do we want him enough to just kick back and invite him into our space? They wanted to hang out with him. They, they, wanted, to, 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 they wanted him to stay with them because it was getting late. And Jesus says, hey, let me keep going. I don't want to interrupt your plans. That was, the, that was important right there. They said, hey, stay with us. He's like, nah. You know, you ever make an invitation to somebody and hope that they don't take it? You know, hey, y'all coming over for dinner? No, nah, we really shouldn't. Okay, well, that's too bad. <laughs> you know, but what happens if they go, okay, we're coming over? You're like, oh, no, I really didn't mean it. You know, Jesus is like, nah, I, I, really, I really shouldn't. But what he wanted was to see if they desired him. He was giving them a test. It was a test of priority. That's what verse 28. They came near to a village where they were going. He gave the impression that he was going further. Why would he act like he wanted to keep going? That's the question, right? Why would he act like that? Because what he wanted to know of them on that road is the same question God wants to know of you right now. And it's this question. Do you want me? Or you just want information about me? Because there's lots of information out there. This is on your notes. We're kind of winding it down. Information alone doesn't automatically reveal God's presence. It has to be fully trusted and consistently applied. Stay in the action, church. Stay in the action. See, it is possible to know a lot of things about God. There are so many books about being a Christian you could ever read. How to pray, how to witness, how to evangelize, how to worship, uh, how to teach, preach, share, and care. It's all there. But a person can have all this and, and hardly know God because a relationship with Christ is evidence. Not in how many notes you've taken, and I hope that you're taking notes. Or not how many Bible apps you have, but the hunger and the thirst that you have for the living God. Do you want Him to come home with you, baby? That's the question. 
that He is putting before us this morning. So if you lack a hunger and a thirst for the things of God, it might be a good time to check your spiritual metabolism. You might need, you know, if your thinking starts to stinking, you need to check up from where? The neck up. You need to check your spiritual metabolism. And the text is asking us, the information about Christ is important. Yes, it's important. We should study. We should be here. We should take notes. We should buy books. But do you want to know His presence enough to actually take the steps to allow Him in your space? That's where His presence comes to life. And so we ask Him, hey, do you want to hang out a little longer? Or should I just get going? What do you want me to do? They're like, no, 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 no. no. Come stay with us. Come into our space. They wanted Him. And it was right there that their eyes were opened. They didn't recognize him in the Bible study, did they? A seven-mile walk, their eyes were still closed. They didn't recognize him until the fellowship time, until they sat there. Because when it's personal, it's powerful. Because when you put yourself in that position, you see it for yourself, everything changes. Amen, church? Here's the point. The point is, when you experience it personally, it changes things. And when God invited, was invited into the home, where, where had Jesus been three days before? Where had he been, church? He'd been on the cross. And so, which means Jesus' nail-pierced hand that, that held that bread was in their face. It was up close and it was personal. And the recognition came when the Bible says he broke the bread. You can't break the bread unless you are, have it right there in front of their face. Y'all see what I'm saying? It's right there. The question was, for me, I saw him like, why, why is he serving them? He's the guest. They should be serving him. But the Bible says he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. Why is he doing that? Because he wanted to unveil himself to them. And the way that he was going to unveil himself in the most personal way is to remind them of what he had done for them. And it was when they realized what he had done for them, they saw the nail scars on his hands, that their eyes were open, and they felt his presence, and then everything changed. That's a challenge for us. And so the last, the last scripture I want to read is John chapter 6, verse 51. As we think about, it's no coincidence that all this happened at their house. Because remember, that's where they were going back to. That was the epicenter of despair and hopelessness. That's where they were running away from and running to. That old place where they could try to just sit in their feelings. But God changed their situation by breaking himself for them and showing it to them. Reminding them the sacrifice that was made. John 6 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so in that moment, all the things they knew in their knowledge, they experienced in a personal way because their faith was renewed in the work of the cross. And so for us this morning, if you want to sense God's presence, you know He's everywhere. He has to be because He's all, he's all powerful. But if you want to see and sense God's presence... These are the things we have to do. You have to study His Word. 
You have to make it personal. You have to fight your feelings with truth. And you have to stay in the action and let God come home with you. You know, when you leave this place, you are entering the mission field. Most of you are going back home. The question is, are you taking the Lord with you there from this place? And I certainly hope so. Because that's where the presence of God will be found. So I want you to spy with your little eye the presence of God. Not only this Memorial Day weekend, but every single day as you let the Lord and His presence dwell with you. As He reclines with you. As you recline in your recliner at your house and around your table. Amen. See, y'all stand with me. Our praise team's coming. And I want to just encourage you to do a few things. One, I want you to reflect on any area, possibly, as an area of distraction and of discouragement and chaos. And think, is there something that I need to bring to the feet of the Father this morning? Is there an area where you're just not letting him rule and reign? Is there an area that's off limits? And likely there's discouragement there. Maybe it's possible you don't have a relationship with him at all. And chaos is ruling in your life. And you're not sensing his presence. Maybe you're sensing his presence now for the first time because he's calling you to make a decision for him. I encourage you to have the courage of conviction. And step out and settle that issue. Stop playing games with your eternity. Because it's not a game to be dealt with. Jesus has purpose for you.